John chapter 11. Some of you might not know this, but last year, John Sartell preached, began preaching through the Gospel of John. He actually started preaching on February 22nd of 2021. He preached from John's Gospel 26 times. But if you haven't been here since November 14th, you haven't heard us preach from the Gospel of John. And so this morning, I want us to take just a few minutes to look back. How, how did we get to chapter 11, verse 45? What, what has happened? What is John's gospel trying to get us as the people of God to do? And I want us to hear God's word this morning from John chapter 11. And how John's gospel pushes us into the beliefs of our hearts and asks us, what do we really believe? So there are two main themes of John's gospel. And really, they, they could just be one main theme with a, with a comma, but I'm just going to break them into two main themes. There's, there's two main themes in John's gospel. The first thing that John wants us to see is that Jesus is the Son of God. The word son is used 61 times in the Gospel of John. 16 of those do not refer to Jesus, but most of those are used in two stories of the official son and when Jesus is speaking to Peter in John chapter 21. The son of God, the phrase the son of God is used nine times. John wants us to see Jesus for who he truly is. Is We read in John 1, 1 through 5, and I am going to read a lot of different passages of John. If you want to take notes, just write them down. If you want to just listen, you don't have to turn your pages of your Bibles. Just listen. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then at the end of chapter 1, we have this miraculous confession by Nathaniel. In verse 51, it says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Then, right before our passage this morning in chapter 11, we see Mary confess, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And then we see at the very end of John's Gospel, Thomas's confession, where Thomas sees the resurrected Lord, puts his fingers in his hands and his side, and he goes, My Lord and my God. Even when Jesus was crucified, the charges that were brought to him by the Sanhedrin were that he himself made himself to be equal with God. So this is the, the, the first main theme of John's Gospel, that we might see Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, come to save the people of God. And there's a second main theme of John's Gospel. It's that we might believe. It's that we might believe and receive eternal Life. The word belief in John's gospel is used 98 
times. And in Scripture, we, we have these two different types of belief, two essence of belief. There's one belief that believes in God in general. God exists. You, mu- you might even believe that God exists in three persons. Unfortunately, this general faith is not saving faith because this general faith is also held by the demons. They believe in God. But John's Gospel also speaks of a saving faith or a saving belief, which means that one is entrusted themselves to this person, to this Son of God, with complete confidence and hope that we can actually be saved from our sins in this promised one. Eric Alexander, a Scottish Presbyterian preacher, gives a great analogy of how to understand this general belief and particular belief. A general belief is very much like a general belief in medicine. We can believe in modern medicine. We can know its usefulness and its helpfulness and wonder at the technological advancements. We can see facts that show how it's been discovered, how it's being used, what it's being used for. And we can believe in this modern medicine with a general use. But then we can actually also believe in modern medicine when our doctor prescribes to us a medicine and we have to trust that he has the best intentions for us. We have to believe that when we take this medicine, we have to put our trust in this doctor that he knows what he's doing, that he's looking out, or he or she is looking out for the best for us and our families. Because he or she holds our futures in their hands with this medicine. We are placing our lives, our futures, our physical and mental well-being in the hands of this doctor. This is true belief. And what John in his gospel is asking us to believe in is to entrust ourselves in the great physician, Jesus Christ. Do we believe in him and only in him as our hope? For salvation, that he has come to conquer sin and to deliver his creation from the sting of death. It is in him and him alone that we find salvation. And we see this great narrative of John's belief from the very beginning all the way to the very end, from the seven I am statements that Jesus refers to himself as God himself. One of those is when he feeded the multitude, feeded the fi- fed the 5,000, where Jesus gives them a sign and says, only I can fulfill that hunger that is deep inside of you. And then Jesus gave another sign when he healed the blind man and said, you who walk in darkness have seen the great light because you have seen me. I am the light of the world. And then his last sign is one that we find in John chapter 11. He has raised Jesus from the dead. And maybe John placed this as the most 
of the most supreme importance, just saving the best for last. And what he's asking the readers, the hearers of the scriptures, what he's making them do is making them believe. This miracle, this sign, Lazarus was raised from the dead so that his disciples might grasp that he is the resurrection. He doesn't say, I give life to people. He doesn't say, I give resurrection to people. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Just as he is the true bread, just as he is the light of the world, this good shepherd, the great vine, the great door, he is resurrection himself. And when he confronts the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus has no option than to obey because the resurrection has called him out of death. And the resurrection confronts this death demanding, where is your sting? And if we see Lazarus' Lazarus' resurrection as a sign, we will also take notice. That is a sign in very small comparison to the resurrection at the end of the John's Gospel. For that sign pointed us to the real resurrection of Jesus Christ when he would raise on the third day. Because Lazarus was raised to die again. But not Jesus. The resurrection he, when he died and was rose again, death was vanquished. He raised to never die again. Yet also, Lazarus' resurrection points to our own resurrections. While Lazarus laid there dead, Jesus came to him. And as the Apostle Paul confirms, the condition of Lazarus in that grave was the same condition that we find ourselves in when Jesus comes to us. Dead. Dead in our sins. We are dead in our trespasses. But by God's grace, we are made alive. Raised from death by his saving power. The resurrection, the Son of God, came to us and gave us new life in himself. Because this is what the signs point to. The signs point us to the one in whom they represent. And they point us to Jesus. Now I do want you in your Bibles to turn to John chapter 20. If you, don't, if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 907. And if you have a pencil or a pen, I don't care if you mark in it. Um, go, just go ahead and mark in it. If, because if you highlight, if you underline, if you circle, this, this, to understand John's gospel, the ESV even has a headline, the purpose of the book. We're looking at John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many signs. We just discussed some of those signs. In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these were written so that, one, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and, two, that, that by believing you might have life 
in his name. We didn't have life until Jesus came and found us. Because only in him is life, the light of men. From beginning to end, this gospel is bookended about Jesus. And the question we must ask ourselves, do we believe in this Jesus? Have you prepared to place your life? Are you willing to trust this great physician with all of you? It's one thing to believe that God exists. It's another thing to trust in him with everything that we are, everything that we have, and to follow him. And this is exactly where we find ourselves in John chapter 11. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And then we read in verse 45, many of the, Jew, many of the Jews therefore believed in him. So the next verse we also read, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. What we find in this text is the great divide. If we look in human history, great events always divide people. We can look at the war in Ukraine. Some might think the war in Ukraine is a good thing. Many don't. But great events in history always divide people. We can look at our own presidential election. There are winners and there are losers. Elections typically divide our country. Because we typically we identify with this candidate and stand behind them. Now, whether or not we think they're the, the best candidate or they're just a little bit better than the other person, I don't want to answer that question. But these politics that we have typically divide us because we find ourselves on one side or the other side. But just as all great events, just as elections, just as almost anything in our lives, talking about the best NBA player in all of history, there is a great divide that is caused in history. And what New Testament scholar D.A. Carson tells us is that Jesus' words caused division. And right here, after this final sign, we see this division. Some believed and some didn't. And the some that didn't, we would hope, I mean, we read the text, they went to the Pharisees that told them all that Jesus had done. We might think, oh, we have some great evangelists here, right? They're going to go tell the Pharisees that they might believe. But that's not what we find out. What we find out, students, what, what do we find out? We have a proper response to Jesus, and we have an improper response to Jesus. There are those who are believed, and there are those that, although it doesn't say it in this text, 
there are those who hardened their hearts and rejected this Jesus. They have just witnessed the mighty power of Jesus raising someone from the dead. And unlike their fathers in the Old Testament, they did not believe. Now, what is this, this council, the, the, this, these Pharisees and scribes that they went to? This council is called the Sanhedrin, and it is the supreme court of the land. It doesn't get any higher in this court. It's not your local city council. But as D.A. Carson also tells us, he says, this is the highest judicial body in the land, which under Roman authority controlled, controlled all Jewish internal affairs. It was simultaneously judiciary and a legislative body, and through the high priest, an executive body. And all the authority was perceived to rest in a theocratic basis. This council met. This council, who was ordained by God in Exodus to lead the people of God, to teach the faith of God, to pass along that they are supposed to love the Lord, their God, with all their hearts, souls, mind, and strength. They're supposed to teach their children to obey this Lord, to bind the word on their doorposts, to diligently keep the commands of God, his testimonies, his statutes. And, to, and God had charged this group with the holy task of changing the hearts of all the people. Why? Least they forget the Lord that brought them out of Egypt. And yet it was this group who should have been the 70 most prepared men in all of Israel to see Jesus for who he was. They missed him. They missed him because they were blind. They let their own circumstances their own political power, their own agendas become so overwhelming, so superior to the message of Scripture, they missed Jesus. And this is what the text says in verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Now, this place probably refers to the temple. And this nation is the Jewish nation that's under the rule of Rome. This place that Jesus himself in John chapter 2 said, if you destroy it, I will raise it in three days. What's ironic is what they feared actually happened after Jesus died and resurrected. In 70 A.D., Rome came and destroyed their temple. In the next hundred years, would lay waste to Jerusalem. But what happened is that these men did not have eyes of faith. Oftentimes when we talk about the Exodus, we refer to the ten plagues. That's actually not what God calls them in Exodus chapter 7. He says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and show him signs and wonders. 
so that all of Israel might know that I am the Lord. Unfortunately, what happens is that we find that Israel in John chapter 11 is actually being identified with Egypt, who no longer believes in Yahweh, but is so situated in this place that they have, so situated with this power that they've been given from Rome. They have just seen the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and they think Rome has more power than this man, the Son of of God. The Sanhedrin feared men rather than fearing God. Instead of following God's commands and actually seeing, actually knowing what the scriptures said, they missed Jesus. And we might say, how could they have done that? They should have known better. But what we have to ask ourselves is, are we missing God? Have we so confused our own agendas? Have we so grand, made our hopes so grand and our aspirations so grand that we forget to follow Jesus? Jesus performed these signs, pointing them to the one in whom they should believe, just like God did in Exodus. And the leaders failed the people. And we must ask ourselves, are we in the same place as these leaders? Do we crave the glory of God more than anything else? Do we want to bring forth the kingdom of God over everything else? Are we discipling the next generation? These leaders were charged to disciple the next generation. Are we willing to disciple the next generation so they will never forget that God saved them from their sins? Are we studying God's word so much that when the world comes in us, we can actually say, I know what the Bible actually says. I know what I must do. Believe in Jesus. When we are faced with trouble, when we are faced with doubt, are we willing to then follow Jesus? Because that's what the Sanhedrin is faced with. They're faced with trouble from the outside world. And they're not willing to follow Jesus. And we have to look at our own hearts and ask ourselves, are we willing to follow Jesus? Are we willing that when the gospel is preached, and even though we might be offended, if God agitates our hearts, are we willing to leave everything, pick up our cross, and follow him? Are we willing to come to him 
and say, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. It wasn't until after the resurrections that the disciples finally believed and understood. It was after the resurrection that Thomas said, I will not believe, but when Jesus came to him, Thomas made one of the best professions in all of Scripture. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, You have seen me, Thomas, but blessed are those who will not see me, but will have faith in me. The Pharisees had the word, but they did not see Jesus. The Pharisees saw the signs of Jesus, but they didn't see Jesus. We have the word. We preach the word. Have you seen Jesus? And much like Egypt and much like the Pharisees, we have a sign from God where we receive Jesus himself. The Lord's table is God's sign that points us to Jesus. This is the gospel that we proclaim. Jesus came to us and rose us from the dead. Are we willing to follow him through trial and tribulation? But here's the good news. This is actually where we come when our faith is weak. We don't come here because our faith is strong. This is where we come. Because this is where Jesus said, I am here. Feed on me by faith. I had hoped to cover all of this passage, but I'm not going to do it. So I will pick up in verse 49 next week. Let's pray. Father, give, eye, give us eyes to see you. Lord, reveal to us our own sin and temptation that might lead us away from you. Please, please reveal to us any hidden agenda, any non-hidden agenda that we might give up everything for the kingdom of God and the glory of Christ. Father, may we see Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and may we believe in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing.